Hey, good morning. Happy Sunday to you. It's an extra happy Sunday for me because I have a special guest with me. My dad is up for a visit with us today from Houston, Texas. Yeah. Now, listen, if you get a chance to talk to my dad in the lobby after the service, he's going to try to tell you a bunch of stories about me when I was a kid. Don't believe any of them. You can't trust them, okay? He's going to fill your head with all kinds of nonsense about stuff that I got up to when I was younger. It's okay. Don't believe any of it. Now, my dad and I, we have a lot in common. Probably the most uh, obvious similarity is our name. We both have the same name. So I am Daniel Sueza. He is Daniel Sueza. And the reason is because for four generations, in the Sueza family, the firstborn son is always named Daniel. So I'm Daniel. My dad is Daniel. His dad was Daniel. And his dad's dad, my great-grandfather, was also named Daniel. You can imagine, this caused a little bit of confusion at family gatherings, okay? When the Swayzes would get together for Christmas, all of the Daniels would be in the living room doing our thing. Grandmas would be in the kitchen. Somebody would inevitably shout from the other room, hey, Daniel, come here for a second. I need a hand. And all of us Daniels are like, she's talking to you, man. She's talking to you. You need to go in there. So because of all the confusion, I mean, this is true, like it used to be a real issue. In fact, when Amber and I were dating, we didn't have cell phones, right? This was landline days. So she would call the, the house that I lived in, the landline, and somebody would answer and she would say, hey, can I speak to Daniel? And they'd say, sure. And they'd put my dad on the phone and she'd say, hey, babe, how was your day? <laughs> kind of weird, right? So we had to come up with some nicknames in order to differentiate all four of the Daniels in the room at the same time. So from oldest to youngest, essentially, it would be Dan, Daniel, Danny, and then Lil Danny, all right? So from this point forward, I would appreciate it if you would refer to me as Pastor Lil Danny, all right? (laughs) Thank you. Names are important, aren't they? Names are important. Your parents chose your name for a reason. Every time a child is given a name, there is a specific story or reason or rationale that the family chooses that name. We did child dedication last week and we dedicated, I don't know, six or eight kids and every single one of them had this amazing story behind the really beautiful or cute name that they had been given. Every family gives their children the name that they do because it has some meaning behind it. And then of course, throughout life, we tend to pick up nicknames for ourselves don't we? Sometimes we love the nicknames. Sometimes we wish we'd received a different nickname, but it's not uncommon for us to have multiple names as we grow up. Now, in this edition of Christmas Before Christ, what we're going to learn from the nativity story is that God himself chose the name Jesus for his son. God chose the name Jesus for his son, and the nativity story also reveals to us one of the nicknames that Jesus carried around, Emmanuel. And when we understand what the name Jesus means and why God chose it as the proper name for his son and why Emmanuel, what it really means, what it signifies to us, it's really going to make Christmas that much more special to you. I think you'll appreciate the holiday season when you understand the names that were given to baby Jesus. So why don't we start reading a passage here, Matthew chapter chapter number one, verses 18 to 25. I'll tell you at the front end, we already read this passage two weeks ago, but don't worry, I'm going to preach a different message, okay? Matthew chapter number one, in verse number 18, the story goes like this. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. 
As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Now, Matthew here, he pauses and he's going to give you a little bit of context or commentary for what was just said. And he quotes the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah in the next few verses. And he quotes a prophecy or a prediction that Isaiah had made about 700 years before Jesus was born. And so he says all of this, this conversation between Joseph and the angel, it all occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named the boy Jesus. Now, I mentioned to you that we read this passage two weeks ago, and if you missed that message, I really want to encourage you to go back and watch it on YouTube, Facebook, listen to it, listen to the podcast on all the major platforms. It's at Connect Calgary, and the reason why is because we focused on the first half of Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah was going to be born from a virgin, and I think I did a pretty good job laying out the case for why the idea that Christ was born from a virgin named Mary was not a myth that arose centuries after he died but in fact had been predicted and prophesied for centuries before he ever came around. So if you've ever struggled with the idea of the virgin birth, uh, I think that message will be helpful to you. But today, what I want to do is I want to focus on the second half of Isaiah's prophecy here. The one in which he says that the Messiah will be called Emmanuel. Now, when I was relatively new to the faith, this bothered me a little bit. I got hung up on this, and I know other people have gotten confused by this particular statement because I've received this question many times over the years as a pastor. The question goes something like this. Why, if Isaiah prophesied and predicted that the Messiah was going to be called Emmanuel, did Mary and Joseph give him the name Jesus? Did they forget about the prophecy? Is there a mistake here in the recording? Uh, is it a translational issue? Why was he named Jesus when the original prophecy from hundreds of years before said he was going to be called Emmanuel? This is one of the, the times that the, the answer to people's questions is actually really straightforward. This is an easy one, guys. There are much harder questions for us to answer about the Bible. If you read this passage really closely, what you discover is that the angel told Joseph, you will name the child Jesus and then I, he quotes Isaiah saying he will be called Emmanuel. This is a name and a nickname sort of situation. On my birth certificate, it says my first name is Daniel. But in the Sueza household, they called me Danny. I was named this, but I'm called that. It's a very similar thing here. He was named Jesus. If they had had birth certificates in the first century, Jesus's would have said first name Jesus, last name Christ. No, I'm just kidding. Christ is not his last name. I don't know if you guys know that. They didn't have last names in the Bible. Christ is a title. It means Messiah or chosen one. All right. So Jesus was his proper name, his official name, his given name. And yet he was called by people in his day. And throughout the millennia, he is called Emmanuel, which the scripture says means God is with us. Now I told you that those two names, like they're important. If you really come to understand them, Christmas kind of takes on a new dimension of meaning and depth. And I think it's really helpful. So why don't we take just a 
couple of moments and look at those two names individually, Jesus and Emmanuel. We'll start with the name Jesus, probably the most famous name in all of history. Anywhere you go in the world at any period, they're basically going to know the name Jesus. The name Jesus itself means God saves. God saves or God is salvation. That's why when the angel announced to Joseph that the baby was going to be named Jesus, he says, you'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus itself means God saves. So his name every day was telling people that this is what he came to do. He came to save us from our mistakes, from our regrets, from our sins. The name means God saves. Now, the, the, the Jesus name that we use in our modern times is actually not the English version of the name. You know, in different languages, your name can take on a different pronunciation or slightly different spelling. This is true of the name Jesus as well. In Greek, the original language the New Testament was written in, his name would have been pronounced Iesus. In Latin, it's Iesus. It's very similar to Jesus that we say today. In Hebrew, his name was Yeshua, Yeshua. And believe it or not, the English translation of Christ's name is actually Joshua, which sounds way too common, way too basic to be the Savior's name. It's like, yeah, I worship Joshua. No, that's just strange, okay? But if you know somebody that has the name Joshua, that is the actual English translation of the name Yeshua, Jesus, that Christ carried, all right? So Jesus means God saves, and that is exactly what he came to do. He came to save his people from their sins. Now, consider the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew phrase. It's a compound word. It's got several different uh, words that are formed together to one phrase, Emmanuel, and it literally means God is with us. That's why it always says, he shall be called Emmanuel, which for all of you non-Hebrew speakers means God is with us, all right? You'll notice here that you can break down the, the way that the phrase or the word is formed. We'll start at the end, the E-L ending. That's the Hebrew word for God, El. It's short for Elohim. It's the generic term for God. Now catch this. Any name that you see today that has an E-L ending, like Daniel, Rachel, Ariel, even the Little Mermaid, Michael, all right? Any of those names that have an E-L ending, those are actually Hebrew names, and they carry God in the name everywhere they go. For example, the name Daniel means God is my judge, which is kind of heavy to have hanging over your head. I'm not going to lie, but we'll leave that alone. All right, Emmanuel. It starts with the L, God, and then throughout the rest of the phrase, we have a compounding of words that basically reads most literally, with us is God. So Hebrew makes you sound like Yoda, okay? Just a fun fact there. So this description of God or Jesus as Emmanuel, it's especially tied to Christmas. We think about Emmanuel in the Christmas season. Um, and part of the reason is because it's often incorporated into our holiday decorations, our greeting cards, our songs for sure. Like, listen, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That is the goat of Christmas songs. All due respect to Mariah, she's got some bangers. But that classic is where it's at. And it incorporates the name Emmanuel. Also, you might notice Emmanuel can be spelled with an I or an E. Doesn't really matter. They both mean the exact same thing. Emmanuel is a word that often gets associated with Christmas and for good reason, because it initially occurred during the prediction of the birth of Jesus and during the nativity story itself. But what does it mean? for Jesus to be Emmanuel. When we say that his birth reveals that God 
is with us, what are we supposed to understand and take away from that? So for the remainder of our time together, another 20 minutes or so, what I want to do is I really want to break down each word in that phrase. God is with us. And I want to help you to understand how beautiful and rich and helpful that truth really is. So we got to start with that first word there. God is with us. God is with us. The birth of Jesus is a proof, a promise that God himself is with us. In order to appreciate Christmas, you have to understand that we are not merely celebrating the birth of a wise teacher or a holy man. He wasn't just an average baby who grew up to become an above average kind of guy. He was God incarnate. God made flesh for us. Hear me. Jesus is God in human form. And it's not just me that's saying that. Uh, Throughout uh, the scriptures, Jesus himself claimed to be divine. He claimed to be God made flesh. In uh, John chapter number 14, there's this really fascinating story. When one of the disciples, a dude named Philip, nobody really talks about Philip. He was kind of one of the afterthought disciples, but he has his spotlight moment here. John chapter number 14, he comes to Jesus and he says this, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. He's like, Hey, Jesus, I know you can do anything. So show us big daddy. We want to see the big guy upstairs. Show us the father. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? That is a bold claim right there to say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. (laughs) If I stood up today and I said, hey, you want to know what God's like? Look at me. You'd be like, who is this guy? What is wrong with him? Nobody would take me seriously. And yet when Jesus said it, they took him seriously. Why? Because he said and did things that nobody else had ever done. His life, his teaching, and eventually his victory over death proved that he really was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God is with us. There's another place in the book of John. Jesus said, says, I and the father are one. We're the same. He's claiming equality with God. And still another time, there was a a group of people that came to him. They said, hey, Jesus, what do you think about Father Abraham? They're essentially saying, like, how do you think about yourself in relation to the guy who started our entire faith system? The guy that the patriarch that everybody loves and adores. He's one of the most important men in Jewish history. How do you think about yourself in relation to Abraham? And Jesus responds, before Abraham was, I am. Which honestly makes it sound like Jesus failed grammar in Hebrew school because that sentence makes no sense. Before Abraham was, I am. What are you talking about? It makes zero sense until you understand that I am is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. That God revealed himself with the name I am. Moses is about to go to Pharaoh and have the showdown in the book of Exodus. And he's talking to God and he's like, God, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh is demanding the Israelites to be set free? Which God is sending me to Pharaoh? And God says to Abraham, uh, uh, to Moses rather, I want you to tell the Pharaoh that I am has sent you. Jesus says, before 
Abraham was, I am. He is claiming the identity of the God of Israel for himself. It is abundantly clear. Like I am so bemused by people in the modern world who are like, Jesus never claimed divinity for himself. That was something his followers did long after he died. I'm like, have you guys actually read the Bible? Because he multiple times said he is equal with God. Multiple times said he has the same name as God. He demonstrated the same power that God had. Jesus is God with us. Now, the Jews of his day understood this. They did. When I told you earlier, John chapter number 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. We are the same. We can pick up the story. And in John 10, as soon as he says, I and the Father are one, we're told the people picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, at my father's direction, I've done many good works. So for which of them are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're stoning you not for any good works, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They understood that Jesus said, I am God made flesh for your benefit and salvation. Now, what's ironic and really fascinating is the people that had the most trouble accepting his identity as the son of God incarnate, God himself in a bod, the people who had the most trouble with that were his own followers, the disciples. We're all pretty familiar with the famous story of Thomas, who's known as Doubting Thomas. And the reason why is because Jesus is crucified, he's buried, the disciples see him die, they all get scared, they book it out of there because they're afraid they're gonna be nailed to a cross next. They huddle together in the attic of a room in Jerusalem, the house in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that after the resurrection, Jesus appears among them. And they're blown away. Except not all of the disciples are there in that room. There's one guy missing. See, Thomas, he had to like walk his dog or something. For some reason, he was not in the upper room with the rest of the disciples. And when he returns, the other disciples are like, Thomas, you're not going to believe this dude. Jesus showed up. He appeared. He was right here with us. And Thomas is like, y'all are tripping, man. There is no way. I saw him die. I saw him die. I saw him go in the tomb. There is no way that I will believe that Jesus is actually alive unless I can see him with my own eyes, unless I can touch the nail holes in his hand and the wound in his side, and I can be certain that it was actually the guy that I saw nailed to the cross. A couple days later, Jesus gives him the opportunity. He appears specifically to Thomas, and he says, Thomas, I want you to touch the holes in my hand. I want you to put your hand here in the wound in my side. I want you to believe that although I died, I am alive. When Thomas does that, have you ever taken note of what his response is? The moment he sees and touches the risen Jesus, the only words that come out of his mouth are my Lord and my God. Thomas finally called him God. It was not just the birth of Jesus that reveals to us that he is God in the flesh. It's not just the prophecies and the predictions from the Old Testament, but it is the life, it is the miracles, it is the death, it is the resurrection of Jesus at Easter that proves he really is God with us. Christmas is beautiful because Easter is powerful because it shows us, it demonstrates to us the true identity of our Savior. When we say Emmanuel, we are really saying God himself is with us. Right. Now, notice also when we say Emmanuel, we're saying that God is with us. God is with us. That's 
present tense. That's right here and right now. Right. You know, there's some people and they might say, yeah, maybe God was with us back in the first century, but then he died and he went to heaven. And so God is no longer with us. Hey, I'll go a step further. There's some people in the room right now. And you say to yourself, yeah, God was with me. And then I got divorced and God hates divorce. And so I'm not so sure he's with me anymore. God was with me until the diagnosis came along. And then I don't know, after that point, it just feels like I've been all alone. God was with me until that weekend happened. The one that I've never told anybody about. And I hope nobody ever finds out about until that moment. God was with me. But you know, my, my word used to be Emmanuel, God with us today. My word is Ichabod. God's glory has departed. He was here. He was with me, but things changed. Maybe it wasn't something you did. Maybe it was something that was done to you. And you say, I don't understand how I could go something, go through something like that and still believe that God is with me. He was with me and then he got mad at me or he forgot about me and this terrible thing happened and now I'm left to deal with it all by myself. But the word Emmanuel reminds us that God is with us today, right here, right now. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. He is with you, whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever it is you're going through, whatever doubts or fears or problems you might be carrying around, whatever sins you've committed, the promise of Christmas is that God is with us. There are also some of you and you say to yourself, I I have faith, Dan, I really do. I have faith that God will be with me one day. There's some things I need to get right. You know, I know I'm not like who I need to be. I'm working on it. I'm getting better for sure. And one day I'm going to be able to present myself to God and say, all right, I've cleaned myself up. I've kind of atoned for all of my mistakes. I've made things right. I am a good Christian guy or girl. Here I am. Now I know that you will be with me, but that's making Emmanuel future tense that maybe someday If by chance or hard work, you might be able to please God and then you'll know he's with you. But the promise of Emmanuel is that he is with us right here, right now. Jesus is every bit as much with us in 2023 as he was with the disciples in AD 23. God is with us. This is why he promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is why the book of Psalms says God is an ever present help in times of trouble. We have not been forgotten. We have not been abandoned and we have not been left alone before Jesus ascended into heaven. He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. Instead, I'm going to send to you the comforter, the Holy spirit, and he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to baptize you. He's going to protect you. He's going to seal you. He's going to do everything that I would do for you. If I were here on earth, we are confident, not that God was with us and now he's gone. Not that God will be with us if we finally clean ourselves up, but God is with us right here, right now. Amen. That makes me feel good. Now, when we say God is with us, what do we mean? With us? Yeah, yeah. Like he's here. He's present among us. Emmanuel, in the song we sang today, God with us here on earth. You know, some people believe that, yeah, God might exist, maybe, but if so, he's out there somewhere. He's distant, transcendent, unknowable, 
uncaring even. But Emmanuel is the promise that God is not merely above us. He is among us. He is here with us. We don't just know about him in some abstract way. We don't just learn facts and theology about him, but instead we know him personally. We have a relationship with him because he's not out there. He's right here. He is with us. He is among us. Not only is it possible to know God yourself personally, that's the whole point of life. Like there are many other things that you can accomplish and experience in life. Many of them are good and noble and worth pursuing. But if you accomplish all of them without knowing God, then you've missed the point. Jesus said, what good is it to gain the entire world if you lose your soul in the process? What would be worth exchanging your soul over? Absolutely nothing. So God invaded our world so that we could know him personally. We could have a relationship with him. We could say that God is with us. There's another way that we can understand that phrase that God is with us. We could also understand it to mean that God is for us, not against us. Oh man, I don't know who needs to be reminded of this today. God is for you. He is not against you. He is for you. Are you a person? Are you breathing? Then God is actually for you. He is not against you. He's done everything he possibly can to reveal himself to you, to pay for your mistakes, to to give you a free opportunity and a fresh start, new life and hope through him. God is with us. And what does Romans 8 remind us? If God is for us, who could be against us? Why do we freak out about everything? Like, why are we so worried about our finances, about our health, about our doubts, about our relationships, about our jobs and the economy? I'm not saying that we should ignore the problems that we have, but we should keep them in the proper perspective. God is bigger than any burden I might face. So I'm not going to let that stuff overwhelm me and overcome me because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It is God who is with us, for us, not against us. Come on, that is good news. All right, but there's still one more word, so it's going to get a little better. It says that God is with us. God is with us? Like me? Yeah. You? Yeah. Them? Believe it or not, God is with us us, all of us. Emmanuel is a reminder that every person on the planet is known and loved by God and given an opportunity to receive forgiveness and new life through Jesus. Everyone. Remember the announcement that the angels made to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born? They said, hey guys, we bring you glad tidings of good news, which will be for some people. (laughs) No, no, no. Glad tidings of good news, which will be for all people. Do you understand this? Jesus does not love me more than he loves anybody else on the planet. He doesn't love my kind of people more than he loves your kind of people. There is not a single person who is not included in this us. God is with us. God is with the young and the old. God is with the rich and the poor. 
God is with men and women. God is with Africans and Americans. God is with the skeptics and the true believers. God is with the divorced and the never married. God is with the healthy and with the sick. God is with the legalists and the liberals. God is with us. What did the prophet Isaiah say? Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Christmas, the Jesus Christ, uh, the birth of Christ is the greatest gift that God has ever given us. You've received a lot of gifts in your life and so have I. I have so much to thank God for. He deserves the credit and the glory for all of it. Truly he does. So many, I could thank him for my wife. I could thank him for this wonderful church. I could thank him for the country of Canada. I could thank him for my health. There's so much I could thank him for because I've received a lot of gifts. None of them comes close to the gift of Jesus. Greatest gift I've ever been given. But like any gift, it has to be received. Do you realize this? It's not enough for a gift to be given. It also has to be received. Imagine for a moment that your family puts in a lot of effort this year and they manage to buy you the perfect Christmas gift. I know that sounds like a miracle. You're like, it ain't happened yet, but I'm hoping one day, maybe. Okay. They spend hours scouring the sales. They find the perfect gift. They get it delivered before Christmas, another small miracle. They wrap it up beautifully, ribbons and bows, and it's got a tag, and it's just great looking, and they set it under the Christmas tree. It is not until you receive that gift. You take it, you open it, that you get to enjoy it. In fact, it doesn't matter how much effort and energy they went to procuring or giving the gift, unless and until you receive it yourself, it's like a present that's forgotten under the tree. It does nobody any good whatsoever. A gift not only has to be given, it also has to be received. Notice what John says. John chapter number one, verse 12. The apostle John, he walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And he said, to all who receive him. There has already been a gift given. The gift is there. It's wrapped up. It's ready for anyone who wants to accept it. To all who receive him, Christ gives the right to be a child of God. And so my question for you is, have you received the gift yet? The gift has been given. It's free. It's the most amazing gift you're ever going to get in your entire life. But you have to say yes. You have to receive it. If you don't receive it, you'll never understand just how wonderful it is that Jesus is our Emmanuel or that he came to save us from our sins. And so I'm going to invite everyone in the room, bow your head, close your eyes right where you're at. If you say, this is me. I want to receive this free gift. If there's an opportunity for forgiveness and a fresh start through Jesus, and all I have to do is say yes, I don't have to earn it, I don't have to buy it. If that's the case, yes, I'm ready. Then I'm going to invite you to say a simple prayer after me. You can say it quietly in your own heart, just between you and God. We're not going to single you out in any way. But you might say, Jesus, today I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Thank you for the gift of a fresh start. And I pray that you would help me to walk in freedom every day for the rest of my life. I receive you as my Lord. Amen. 
Guys, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time today, we want to celebrate and rejoice with you. My wife's going to share with you in a moment some ways that we can help, give you some next steps that you can kind of take in your relationship with God. But for all of us, could we just rejoice for a moment that Jesus is our Emmanuel? God with us. Could that just settle over your heart and soul this morning? Could that carry you through the rest of the Christmas season that God is with every single one of us? In fact, I actually think it's a bit of a tragedy that the word Emmanuel is kind of only used during the Christmas season. Because like, this is a truth that we need to carry every single day of the year. God is with us. I need that as much in February as I do in December. I need to constantly be reminded that God is with us. In fact, this is part of the reason that I think Christmas should be an entire season long and not just one day on the calendar because we need a full season to appreciate all the wonderful truths that Christmas reminds us of. We need to sit and steep like tea leaves in water with the fact that God is with us. It needs to soak into us. It needs to become a part of us. It needs to ooze out of us when somebody pinches us. God is with me. And that, my friends, is really, really good news. So next week is Christmas Eve which I think is so cool that Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year. As Amber told you, we're having our normal service times, which is wonderful. And I just want to challenge you, invite somebody to come with you this week. They are more likely to say yes on Christmas Eve than at just about any other time of the year. It's happening early in the day, so there's still plenty of time for them to get and hang out with their family later on in the afternoon or the evening. And let me give you a little pro tip when it comes to inviting somebody to church, okay? Let me give you a way to to make this... uh, Uh, as wonderful and easy as possible. Um, Instead of saying, hey, my church is having, or do you want to come to church with me next Sunday? Hey, do you want to come to the Christmas Eve service with me? That's kind of very easy for people to say, ah, it's Christmas Eve, it's hard, you know, I don't know, maybe no, thanks, but maybe some other time, right? Instead, why don't you just say, our church is having an incredible Christmas Eve service, and I'd love for you to come. If you extend that kind of invitation, then the opportunity is there. They don't have to give you a yes or a no in the moment, but it's there. Maybe later in the week you follow up and say, hey, have you thought any more? I really think this is going to be a good morning. I really want you to come sit with me. If you'll extend that kind of invitation, I'm just telling you, you would be shocked at how many people will say yes. There was a recent study that was done. I'll wrap up with this. I'm rambling. But anyway, um, there's a recent study that was done, and they said that uh, they asked people, why did you come to church for the very first time? 86% of people said, I came because a friend invited me. They don't come because of our Facebook ads. They don't come because of our Instagram channel. They come because you say, it's going to be an awesome morning, and I would love for you to be there with me. So let's pack the house next week. Let's get everybody in the city of Calgary we can here so that we can celebrate Jesus, our Emmanuel. Emmanuel.